0: Moncrief on News Talk. 53106 is our text number that will cost you 30 cents. You are listening to The Moncrief Show on News Talk. Joanna Fortune joins us once again for our parenting slot afternoon, Joanna.
1: Afternoon,
0: Sean. Now, here's your first question. Our three-year-old daughter continuously has to touch everything, e.g. going for a walk. is difficult as we have to stop every few steps to touch walls, the ground, pick up sticks, leaves, anything in sight. While I'm brushing her hair before bedtime, she keeps stroking me. She keeps moving, which makes it virtually impossible. She's also physically very strong and runs at both of us crashing into us. It doesn't seem to affect her. She seems unaware of her strength. We've Googled this and issues such as sensory processing have come up. Is this something we need to be concerned about? Uh, Will it lessen over time? She has no other issues such as with speech and is bright and fabulous and full of energy and beans.
1: Yeah, I think the end of the letter just sums it up. She sounds like a lovely, engaged little girl. And there is some question about her sensory sensitivity, just to kind of put it that way. The other thing I'd emphasize, Sean, is Google will always throw up a diagnosis. Mm. You put in any list of symptoms or any concerns you have, you're going to find articles that point you in the direction of worst case scenario. Could be this, could be that. So what I'd say to you is just break it down a little bit because she's three years old. So. The whole concept of touching, like at this age, young children, they are sensory seeking, they are tactile, they use touch to explore their environment. It's how, you know, touch in itself is a way of them gaining a reassurance of regulating the experience. So three-year-olds and in and around that age, them being all about touch is actually very healthy and normal. You know, the whole act of touching stimulates the sensors within muscles and joints. It sends messages from what I'm experiencing. So the touch I take in through my skin and that sends a message to my brain. How did I make sense of that experience and what was it like for me? You know, too hot, too cold. I like how that feels. I don't like how that feels. So it's how they make sense of the world outside of them. So there's a couple of things that I would say to you is that if you feel that's well and good, but there's a couple of flags in here that continuously, that word, that if you really do mean this is more often than not, because a three-year-old stopping every few steps a walk again in and of itself wouldn't be something to raise a flag for me but if it's a need she has rather than a curiosity she has the crashing into you I mean discovering where I end and the world and people outside of me begin as a process of people permanence typically she'd have it at three not shocking that some three-year-olds are still crashing into furniture, walls, doors, because they're so in their experience that they don't have that inner brake light to say, mm, must slow down, might hit somebody, could cause injury to self or other. They just don't have that yet. So again, if you were to hand these to me as one-off pieces in and of themselves, like, go, oh, you know, that's OK, keep an eye on it. That's OK, keep an eye on it. When you put them together, there could be a, a question there, which I guess is what brought you to Google in which case you'd be looking at a sensory-seeking behavior. Uh, People who are hypersensitive to touch can often become touch-avoidant. Oh, I don't want to touch it, I don't want to touch it. People who are undersensitive or hyposensitive to touch tend to seek out more touch to try and give themselves that input and experience. If you were concerned that, okay, that sounds like what we're talking about, You could reach out through your public health nurse, through your health center, seeking a referral for occupational therapy and an occupational therapy assessment would look at a sensory profile and look at that with you. And she's super young. So there's lots that you can do. Now, as I tell you to get a referral, your GP could refer you, for example, as well into services, that there's huge waiting lists at the moment, and she is still three years old. So at home, there are a number of things you could do to increase her sensory experience to see that if she gets much more sensory play experience, does that in itself top up her sensory seeking so that she's not having to do it in these other ways. So you could make sensory bowls, like take a a basin, put in some warm water, squirt of washing up liquid a teaspoon of cinnamon or ginger or you know curry powder um, you know and give her a little whisk or use her fingers to just mix all of that up she gets the warm water the bubbles the smell all of one sensory engagement in one go she could then play with the water and do some water play just put a big towel underneath and she could sit on the floor wash her little toys play with the bubbles just really engage with the water you could also do a dry sensory basin with her take a bowl like a basin bowl type of thing and fill it up with things like uncooked green lentils red lentils lima beans if you're worried she might put those in her mouth they could be a choking hazard so make a parental call on that one and the bow tie shaped pasta fill up the bowl with all kinds of stuff like that dry rice for example any of that is great and just hide something in it for her to dig with her hands to find you could hide a blueberry you could hide you know a chocolate button you could hide a little toy and she digs with her hands to find it give her little cups or that you know the tiny little flower pots you can plant tiny seeds into and she can pour from one to the other and she could just feel the weight of all that on her hands um getting some shaving foam spraying it onto a breakfast tray and letting her just mess around with it making slime making homemade kinetic sand that is literally taking castor sugar some paint um, pouring those into playing around with the quantities. I, I never really know the quantities. I just go with what looks right into a box with a lid and give it a good old shake. And then the paint will taint the sugar and it sticks together like a kinetic sand. You can do that at home. Anything like that, but also person to person touch play. So, playing things like holding her hands tight and row the boat, Uh, playing beep honk, you know, where you lean in and touch her nose and do a beep noise, or her ear might quack or her chin could honk, having her do the same for you, playing pop cheek, you know, where you puff out your cheeks with air and you press them and they make that noise, that kind of farty noise that kids love and find hilarious. Any of that type of touch play is lovely drawing a pizza, a circle, in other words, on her back and, you know, messing around with your flat hand saying there's the sauce and scatter on the cheese with your fingertips, you know, scratching on her back and do a little chopping noise for slicing on the pepperoni and then slice up the pizza any little narrative that involves a lot of touch and that deep pressure touch would be lovely for her so i would say loads of touch and sensory play at home and if you are concerned that it is leaning more towards what is sensory seeking behavior reach out and look for a referral for an ot because she's really young and you could get lots of guidance at this stage
0: right okay uh all well, the games sound like great fun anyway so anyway where worth yeah. go <laughs>
1: (laughs) Uh, Right, okay,
0: Uh, next question is, uh, (laughs) this is a common one, I think, my two-year-old and four-year-old girls won't sit down at the dinner table to eat any meal. Hyperness levels increase and it results in raised tensions as my husband and I get cross with them. They barely or take forever to eat their meals, even if we don't give them anything for an hour and a half beforehand. And general messing takes place like playing house under the kitchen table, standing up on chairs, (laughs) screeching at each other, etc. We are trying to create a more positive experience for all as it's turning into a stressful experience each time we've tried lots of coaxing to be good bribery of getting a treat after (laughs) dinner if they eat but my two year old obviously has no concept
1: of what this means any advice or tips I mean, on the plus side, it sounds like they get on really well, okay, and that's nice that they enjoy each other so much. And um, the, the the downside is, you know, they're at an age when, frankly, there is so much more interesting things in my world than sitting at the table to complete a meal together. Mm. That just doesn't give me the input that standing on a chair and screeching at each other or ro- rolling around or messing, in other words, playing, that that really gives them. So it can be hard for them to kind of switch off. I wonder how you're flagging to them that mealtime is coming or are they in the middle of this vigorous, robust play? And then you go, hey, dinner time. That's a big jump, especially for this age to go from, whoa, play to, oh, sit down. So there could be a few practical things you could do around flagging or cueing them that dinner time is coming. Soon we will be sitting down without having to say it. You could have them lay out the maths. Put the cutlery on. You're never going to get the knife and fork in the right place. But, you know, pick your battles. Once the cutlery is somewhere on the table, you'll work that out when the dinner comes. Involve them in obviously appropriate ways in meal prep. What little bits could they do? Could they be playing with the veggie peelings while you're prepping? Could that be a part of their play? Because all of that is cueing them. Dinner is coming. Mealtime's coming. And then when you set the table for them. And again, now make a call on this. You could consider a paper tablecloth or covering their area with just a piece of art roll paper or wallpaper lining is fine. Just roll it out and give them little crayons. Let them draw or play on their area while they sit. Uh, You could sing songs while you all sit together. You could sing what you're doing. Children love rhythm and synchrony. It helps to regulate them emotionally. And share what was the best bit of your day? What was the bit you'd like to change? Keep the mealtime playful and engaging so that it is meeting their need, because it's not their developmental task to sit down and eat quietly and how was your day and listen to everyone talking and do reciprocity and turn taking. They're too young. And these are busy kids. They just sound quite busy. So you could also do a bit of a timing that everyone must sit at the table and eat for a set time. You could use a visual sand timer for that. You can get those in five minutes, 15 minutes, 30 minutes. 30 minutes is is. That's optimistic. I'd go with 15 or 20 (laughs) minute timers Um, because if they sit and eat, like the amount they're going to eat, the speed they can eat at if they're motivated, 15 minutes of eating could be better than an hour and a half of cajoling to eat without getting anything done so you could do that just making food fun you could even put it on the fork and have two forks talk to each other with a little bit of whatever chicken or fish on the fork and they have a little chat over and back your food fork talks to theirs and then your food fork pops in your mouth and pops out and goes, oh he's gone where's yours gone they mirror pop it in their mouth and come out making it a bit more playful and I know that I'm making that sound Sean like God, Joanna, that's a lot of work at the table. But you know what? They're already working, these parents at the table. You're working to get them to sit. You're working to get them to be quiet. You're working to get them to eat. This is just working in a different way that's more playful and is more likely to elicit the behavior you want to see rather than constantly flagging the behavior you don't want to see. Mm. So I would approach it that way.
0: Yeah, because it sounds like the kids are probably having a good time.
1: Oh, it sounds like they're having a great time. Like, yeah. I'd say they've got no idea what you're talking about. Mealtimes are a howl. Love them. Yeah.
0: <laughs> you know, uh, they're, they're the best time. It's hard, though, because they've already, Very. you know, you, you've already gone to the, you know, the, 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 you, to the trouble of making dinner and then, you know, you're on the clock, it's have dinner and then maybe bring, you know, get them in the bath and that kind of stuff. And that adds totally. to that.
1: No, you're spot on. And I think that's often what makes family meal times quite tense and stressful is we know, you got to eat this now so that we can do the next thing. But children don't think like that. They're so in the now moment that they're not thinking about your need to get me wound down and into bed in the next 40 minutes. They're thinking, or we could throw the food at each other right here, right now. So it's about structuring it, but not in a way that's giving out and behavioral correction, but is more playfully connecting.
0: Uh. Still, though, good luck with that. Uh, (laughs) Right. Uh, My son is nine and has suffered from anxiety since he was four. We saw a child psychologist when it started and we got it under control. It's flared up now and again, but mostly he's doing well. He's now a very nervous child, though, afraid of what seems like everything. Everything we try to do, he sees the danger going for a walk. Could I get knocked down? Talking about holidays, the plane could crash, the boat could sink. His latest thing is being afraid of Monday mornings, as he learned in school during a lesson uh, about about the heart, that Monday mornings are the most common time to have a heart attack. Also, just lately, he seems to have developed tics. He closes one eye for a second or two. I ask him if his eye is hurting and he says no. He feels he just has to keep closing it and can't stop. He clenches his tummy muscles until they hurt and again says he just can't stop doing it. He also makes a constant noise at the back of his throat. I haven't noticed these ticks being any worse when he's stressed or worried about anything. I'm just wondering if this is something that needs investigating where to turn, if it does need a diagnosis or is this normal nine-year-old behaviour? Are they they maybe, these are coping mechanisms for him? Yeah,
1: it does, doesn't it? It does sound a little bit like coping mechanisms and I think what's really interesting here is that he has suffered from anxiety since he was four years old. This isn't new, it is escalating escalated or amplified at the moment. And one of the things that we are seeing, Sean, is like, you know, I've said before on this that it's been a difficult year and it's quite normal for children to in a difficult time have difficulty. You know, there's context to feeling anxious when there's been an anxiety provoking time for all of us. However, children who were or teenagers or people who were already predisposed to an anxious disposition, Prior to COVID, don't forget that there's been an even more amplified impact on people who already were anxious because this was already there and now it's been built on rather than emerging or created. And a lot of people who may have had access to, like this child has previously seen a psychologist, you know, but who may have been attending therapy or other types of appointments that would represent formal supports for mental health, at least for a period of time and quite abruptly, you lost access to those. And then they gradually went online and then returned in person. But that abrupt loss of formal structures of support mixed with the loss of informal structures, which would be school, my peer group, extracurricular activities, the outside world, the predictability of routine in my life, having lost that, that also would have served to amplify pre-existing anxiety. And even in my own work, I'm seeing that there, it is a slower transition as we keep saying, hey, things are getting back to Whatever that normal word now means, mm. you know, things are getting back to something. And why isn't everybody just immediately fine? There is an adjustment period. It is longer for kids who are already anxious. Because he has seen a child psychologist when he was younger than nine, like I imagine when it started around four, I wonder could you re engage that child psychologist because he has a pre existing relationship with them and they know him and they know his anxiety and anxious patterns. If that was an option, I really would think that's something to do because what you're describing is anxious thinking, kind of fatalistic thinking, worst case scenario thinking. And yes, you could. what you don't want to do is minimize and dismiss. That would never happen. Don't think about that because that doesn't reassure anxious kids. That teaches anxious kids, don't bring your worries to me. I'm just gonna dismiss and minimize them. You have to say, okay, say that again to me. Let's think about that. I understand the worry. It's probably not going to happen. But you know what is likely to happen? Is. And you give the alternative. Instead of the plane crashing, it would arrive and we'd have a great holiday and we'd have great fun and talking about how unlikely, not it won't happen, and how much more likely a positive outcome is. But again, if he's looking and you're going, I don't think so. You just want to take that as his truth and stick with him. Don't rescue him from those feelings because he has to work his way through them. I think that you could have, you know, this, um, you you were saying that he he talks, you know, you're talking to him about it. He's explaining a lot of this to you. You know, he's saying this could happen and that could happen and I'm worried about this and I learned about this in school and now I'm thinking about it. I think you could use that and have like an uninterrupted chat time each day and say it's the uh oh chat and for a set period of time you're gonna sit there and listen to his uh oh's he can talk about his worries talk and then you say okay we've got time for one more worry. What would it be? Okay, we'll talk about the worries again tomorrow. And you can listen, don't fix, but just reflect back. How are you feeling? What would make you feel better? I wonder is something else more likely and help him to feel that he can bring this to you. And you will hear by by making it a time focus piece, though, Sean, it means that he won't worry and worry and worry and worry and worry all day out loud. He knows that he has a space that he will be heard in, and that he'll have that every day. Um, And then I would follow that up with some play. I would move him from that into something that's much more engagement and play-based, do something fun together for an, an equal block of time. And I think you could, if the psychologist option to return to isn't an option for you, I would certainly ask your GP for a referral.
0: Uh, just referring back to uh, getting uh, the little ones to behave at dinner time, Neve in Kerry says, I definitely relate to the question about getting your kids to behave at the table. My kids seem to pick opportune moments to act like brats, especially in front of other family members or friends of ours, when they know I don't want to discipline them publicly. It drives me up the wall. Uh, Michael the Cynic says, uh, You could also get the kids to bake scones and do the washing mm. up, old school, uh, like Granny used to do. These is a two year old and a four year old, Michael. You might as well just chuck the dish. Just straighten
1: the bin. Uh, I don't if know if you'd be eating the scones.
0: <laughs> so, yes. <yeah>. Nice idea. <laughs> uh, right. Uh, we do have to take a break. We are listening. You are listening to the Moncrief Show on Newstalk. We're going to take a break after that. A two year old who keeps waking. 53106 is our text number that will cost you 30 cents. You are listening to the Moncrief Show on Newstalk. Uh, do you want a fortune still with us uh, With uh, for uh, some of your parenting questions? Next question is this I have an almost two year old who wakes every three hours. He would never sleep in a cot, I couldn't physically get him into it, he would freak out, he never took a bottle or soother, and either needs to be breastfed to sleep or walked in the buggy or driven in the car. He has never slept in a cot, I couldn't get him into one, so he has his own bed that I get him to sleep in, and then he wakes during the night, I take him out into my bed... Out of pure exhaustion. He's a very, very light sleeper. If there's any noise or if I try to put a blanket on him, he sits straight up and cries for me. He only naps about an hour, an hour and a half during the day and could be up until 9.30 or even later at night. I know he's probably overtired and running on adrenaline, but he just won't sleep. I don't want to leave him crying alone. That's not an option for me. Please help, says a a parent who is also exhausted and running on. Yeah.
1: And, you know, Sean, that's often the the biggest challenge with when you have a child who doesn't sleep is the impact it has on your own sleep. So your resources are exhausted, overstretched and depleted. So you're fighting an uphill battle because you have so little to give. You're just, oh, just go to sleep. Just go to sleep. I don't want to think about it at all. Just do it. And actually, unfortunately, you know, some brains do better with blocking out kind of external noise or environmental stimuli during sleep. Because, you know, even while we're asleep, our brain is still receiving sensory information. Some of us are blessed personally in our own sleep or with our kids that they just don't take in that information in a way that disrupts their sleep. Other kids just don't have that blocking out thing as as well developed. And there's nothing wrong with him. You might disagree now, the parent listening, but there's nothing wrong with him. It's simply the way that he experiences the world. I mean, of course, there's the obvious stuff. Keep the room cool, quiet, dark. I mean, blackout blinds absolutely absolutely have those. But also you could try things like, you know, White noise, but just because he wakes at the slightest noise, I'm a bit iffy about that. That will either help him to absorb the noise in a way that won't disrupt him, but it might also trigger him. So that could be a trial and error one. Um, The bit about him getting into your bed, it sounds like he sleeps better when he has that close physical proximity to you. That's very sensory, you know, the warmth of of another body, your breathing pattern will help co regulate him. And lots of little children love to get into the bed of their parents. And honestly, I know not everyone agrees with this, but if it's not a problem for you, then it's not a problem. You know, Mm. the goal here is everyone get an optimum amount of sleep as best you can. I think it is a great idea to always start them in their own bed. But lots of children do not complete the night in their own bed. Also remember, like children waking up during the night is quite normal. You know, we have this is a classic example of a parental want clashing with a child's need. We want them to sleep and stay asleep. They need to wake up and see is everyone still where they're supposed to be? Where am I? Bit of reassurance. And a lot of kids would go back asleep. It's just that this is happening with the slightest throat clear or movement that it's actually making it difficult. What's adding to it is he's doing minimal napping and his bedtime is really late So I think you're right. I think he is overtired. I think he is running on adrenaline and it sounds counterintuitive if he's so tired. Why wouldn't he just sleep? But that's not the way it works. Toddlers, particularly around his age, do better with earlier bedtimes. And I I can imagine this parents going, yeah, 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 tried all that. In In a weird way, you've got to hold that routine and praise your own effort over outcome. You know, often I say here, it's praise a child's effort over outcome. Put that back in on yourself. If you can hold a calm, consistent, predictable bedtime routine, and you'll have some wins with it and you'll have some losses, some nights it will work better than others, but you keep the routine regardless, because then he's learning that no matter what he pushes against or resists, the routine stays the same ensure plenty of physical active outdoor play in his day he's at an age when they need lots of waves that emotional regulatory roller coaster bring me up bring me back down, bring me up. So you need mild, moderate, higher levels of stimulus in his day, lots and lots of messy play because it helps to take him out of his busy mind and down into those now moments in his body. It helps him to explore that sense of boundaries, limits and containment through play. And it's giving a lot of proprioceptive input that we already mentioned with the other little ki- little guy in terms of sending a message from the skin to the brain that is about reassurance and regulation. Make sure that you use minimum screens during the day, especially in the evenings, because it will only serve to further stimulate him. And a routine should start with cueing him that bedtime is coming in clear steps. So that might be that you play the same song, you know. Bedtime is coming at the end of this song and that you dance to the song. Nothing that no heavy metal here, nothing too stimulating, but just a nice little song that he'll know. Do a little dance with him and lead out of that song into a follow the leader. So that could be it depends on where you live, up the stairs or down the hall, whatever way it works. Do a follow the leader with dino steps, with little mouse steps, with kangaroo jumps so that he has to follow you and he's in activity with you so you've cued him bedtime's coming you've used movement and rhythm you've now got him mirroring you with more movement and rhythm you haven't had to say the words we're going to bed yet and then you go straight to whatever it is a bath bath is nice bit of lavender warm water make it snow on him with powder or slippery with the lotion and rub it in sing a little lullaby put him in bed, top to toe kisses, kiss his forehead, his eyes, his nose, his chin, name them and kiss them as you work your way down to his little toes, and then put him into bed. And you could do the stay and gradual leave kind of method, if you like, where you stay beside them, you don't talk, you don't chat after that point, but you stay close to the bed, you might even hold a hand. Then you stay close to the bed without touch, then you move a little bit away, a little bit away into the hall, further away, you're gone, you're out. That doesn't take three nights, that could take 10 nights. Yeah. You know, it really depends. The thing is about holding your boundary with it and making sure he knows that you are physically available to him. But that sleep is something you need him to begin to do himself. He is only two. Like to my mind, he's still a baby. He's still very young. And it's going to be a gradual process and it's going to be work for you because you have a child who doesn't embrace sleep. In a way, many other children do. He just, some kids do. Some adults don't, Sean. Like some adults rely on weighted blankets and lots of other props to help them get that sense of Mm. deep pressure touch so that they can sleep. And lots of people are hardwired to pick up noises um, that can disrupt sleep. So some of our brains are just wired differently to others in terms of blocking out stimulus. I know that I don't want to make that sound like so that's just the way it is. But I also don't want to psychopathologize sleep because I think we tend to do that quite a bit. We have this expectation that our kids will he's two. The Internet says he should sleep this amount. Why isn't he? Um, And it's just not the way it works.
0: Yeah, a few few comments on some of the things uh, that we were just talking to. Somebody suggesting there might be a physical uh,
1: reason for this two year old. Maybe it's reflux. Could be. I I mean, all of that is I love to rule out the physical before we decide it's emotional. So if there is anything that you could have a GP or somebody or, you know, he's two. So he's either they're running way behind on the developmental checks. But you could reach out to your public health nurse and say, hey, I'd really like to push mine up the list. If we're prioritizing, I think he has something to be looked at.
0: Uh, Someone else says to the tired mammy, a bit of hope. Our first boy was just as described. He's four now and a great sleeper. It improved sometime when he was two. When COVID lockdown one happened, he began to wake and appear in our room, but doesn't wake us and go straight to sleep again. Baby number two arrived in June 2020 and slept from day one, even though she's also breastfed. We do exactly the same with her as we did with him. All children are different. What got okay. me through the sleep deprivation was grabbing a nap when I could, or going to bed early. It will pass, though, uh, and that's uh, that's uh, very true for you. Uh, on the, the 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 little ones who aren't uh, uh, behaving that well at dinner time, uh, one texter says because the, the person who sent in the question said that you know they didn't they weren't fed anything at least for an hour and a half beforehand. Mm. Uh, this person says that sounds like the problem right there. They're just not hungry.
1: And it could be. And, you know, children, their appetite does go in waves, doesn't it? Up and down. Mm. So I, I think don't make food a battle. That's really the bottom line, because you just want to remove the emotional charge around food because it can lead to so many other problems that you just don't want to invite in. So just make the food available and encourage. But I think making it playful could make it more enticing.
0: Uh, though on that particular point somebody's uh, and everybody texted in to say growing up we were taught manners and proper <laughs> behaviour dinner was dinner you sat up and ate it why does everything these days have to be a playful exercise
1: but sure why not like why wouldn't it be a playful exercise play is good for us grown-ups as well I'd much rather be doing it playfully than having to give out you know that nobody feels good with the giving out I, I the person who texts that in just try one of those things give them a go
0: yeah I don't know but it also I don't know I, I don't know specifically what this person's experience was, but uh, we were taught manners uh, is often time code for the heads were beaten off us. Uh, and if there's a threat of physical violence, there perhaps yes, uh, kids do uh, act in a more mannerly fa- uh, fashion. But what message are you teaching your yeah. kids uh, behind all that, Joanna? Thanks a million uh, Thank once you. again, uh, Joanna Fortune. There you are listening to the Moncrief Show on News Talk. We're going to take a break after that. The truth behind myths. Moncrief on News Talk.